I broke my fibula around the ankle and I, I damaged my knee meniscus on that side as well. And then I tore my um, labrum on my right hip. So it, w- it was an awkward injury. It was annoying. Um, it was a nighttime jump and you know, you're only dropping from hundreds of feet. You know, it's, So it's a very quick jump. You land very hard. You, you're dropping pretty much like a rock to get on the ground. Um, it's not like a nice little parachute jump where you land nice and softly you're you're hitting the ground hard you're listening for your equipment to hit the ground that's on a a rope beneath you um, which gives you a a very very small amount of time to try and brace for the impact hi this is john shield and this is my no finish line podcast Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Number 17 Personal Training and their head coach, John Belton. You'll find them at www.no17pt.com. In this episode, I'm joined by multi-stage racer and endurance athlete, John Shield. John is relatively new to the sport, but in a short space of time, John has won some of the races that have previously featured on the podcast, including the Jungle Ultra, the Arctic Ultra, the Summer Spine Race Challenger, and his most recent race that I know of, and one where he set a new record in, the Winter Spine Sprint in January of this year, that's 2023. His finish time in that race was 8 hours, 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Now the Spine races are widely regarded as being some of the toughest in the world because of the terrain and challenging conditions. And having said that, if you go onto the Spine Race website, you will see that almost all of the Spine Winter Races for 2024 are sold out. Today when I checked, which is Tuesday the 4th of July 2023, I could see one place remaining on the Challenger North. So welcome to the podcast, John. Hi, how are you doing, John? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for making yourself available. You're a busy man. So I've just mentioned the names of a few of the races and haven't really touched on what's involved in all of them. But all of the races that you have done are very, very challenging. And in your opinion, what do you think is the attraction with this type of race? I think the fact that they're a huge challenge and some of the environments are some of the most inhospitable environments in the world whether it's the weather the terrain the wildlife um you know there's so many variables and being fit um just doesn't mean that you're gonna finish it um there's always the what if or you know, something happens, something, you, you know, trip, fall on a rock, you get bitten by something. So nothing's a given. You can get people in sort of running events, 100 meters, 400 meters, whatever, on a track. And you can generally tell which person will win on form bar a mishap. Most most of the time it, it goes with form. But with these races, yeah, you can train all you like. You can train really, really hard, but then you can get sort of taken out by a stomach bug um, or by heat stroke or just say falling, whatever. So I think it's that challenge that you don't know the outcome. And it's a case of, am I capable of that? Can I do that? And something to prove to yourself. 
I think. That's a very interesting answer. And I like the bit that you said about the track races, 100 metre, 200 metre, 400 metre. And that's very, very true. And it's not something that I've thought about. And you now have me thinking that you have come up with that answer because you have a degree in sport, health and exercise science as well as strength and conditioning qualification. Are you doing these races to maybe... uh, try out what you're doing in the classroom you're you're putting the theory into practice yeah i mean i think most recently and and currently i work as a a paramedic as well and i've got a paramedic degree so it all interlinks very well with now doing my coaching qualifications i've just done it's it's seeing where and how you can try and eliminate as many factors as possible to get a solid performance and i think you you look at events over the years and sort of how people perform or how they don't perform and you wonder why and i really like analyzing things and i've had a couple of performances where i've just been really flat and i think one was after the jungle um last year and i tried to go in go into the um Chevy a goat and I just I had absolutely nothing I couldn't even run on the flats and looking back on it at the time I knew I hadn't been sleeping well the week before I just had a terrible sleep and it wasn't anything like you'd usually have a bad sleep it was something more than that and I think it was overtraining syndrome I hadn't fully recovered and looking back at it now I know when I look at that well that's a reason not to race because you know you're going to have a poor performance and uh, it was very obvious to me right from the off that I was just just not with it that day. And uh, you know, you can you can push yourself through certain events and you know really struggle, but sometimes you just have nothing. And there's a very big difference between having a bad performance and getting through it, as opposed to actually not being able to the, the body just says no and you know that from that day you, you, you're having a bad day and it's it's not going to happen so there's no point in affecting your health long term to struggle uh, whereas sometimes i think like the the spine summer challenge yourself that i've just done that was a case of grizzing it out yes i'm in pain but i'm not going to damage my health long term so get on with it and uh you know, I knew that I still had the opportunity to, to win and, and that was a difference. Whereas when you're peeing blood 20-odd times in a race um, and you're having to stop to wee sort of every few minutes and it's very painful, then you, you kind of know that actually you need to stop and live to, to fight another day. So it's, it's being a little bit sensible with, with how you race and, and react as well. So are you saying that you're someone that can take their own advice? Not really, no. I'm, I'm terrible. Um, I will... What I, I, I would tell people to do different to what I do, generally. I think, I think I'm learning with, I say, experience or maybe age, but um, I tend to really try and extract every little bit of performance I can right to the limit, but that's not necessarily to the benefit of my performance sometimes with a very hectic work um, sort of life around everything. You try and cram so much in that you actually, you're having poor sleep, you're, you know, you're not recovering essentially. And then you're trying to do a hard session when you're not recovered. 
and you, you bury yourself. And that is probably my biggest nemesis with the racing and, and so on since I've been started over the last three, three and a half years is, is the fact that I don't have much recovery. But going away to these races, I actually get a little bit more recovery time. So it's, it's like going on a holiday to these multi-day races because I get a few days beforehand where generally I'm either acclimatizing or something, but I'm, I'm sleeping. I'm away from all the distractions and I can actually focus on a bit of recovery and generally turn up in, in decent shape. So it helps. I'm glad you said that now about the holidays because I, I've said that to people before, like if you enjoy what you're doing, this is our holiday. We look forward to it and that is part of the, the attraction with it. But I have noted that you have previously said that running wasn't something you you were interested in. I think your your sporting background was more rugby and you were also involved in, a, I think you represented Great Britain on their shooting team and also uh, the duathlon team. So you weren't so much a runner. Well, running was something you did as part of the other activities. And then when you started running, I also note that you have maybe won all of these races that you've taken part in. Is the win, like, are you very, very competitive? And is the actual end result the win that is motivating you? Yeah, I think um, initially it was a case of I can run again and start running. It was something I hated at school. Um, you know, I would literally try and get out of sports days, anything like that, unless it was rugby, football, you know, cricket, whatever it was at the time where you had a purpose. I didn't see the purpose in running for the hell of it. And I was a little chubby kid you know I wasn't very good at sprinting or long distance so it was kind of like unless I was playing rugby or something and then I was I was good um but then you know I think gradually I've pretty much I would say don't have any talent for for distance running what I've been able to do is put some um very determined stubborn mindset to it and yet getting the results has definitely been a motivator for me and you know you you never know but I thought I'm doing okay here I can do okay and when I got that first victory which was the Highland Ultra for Beyond the Ultimate that really kicked me up a gear and spurred me on and then I got the chance to go and do the Arctic quite quickly after that and there was no way I was going to let anyone beat me and then I've sort of set my sights and ambitions and goals higher and higher bit by bit and I've worked harder and harder and harder I don't sit back when I've got a victory because I think sometimes you know I've had a a big fall from grace not necessarily because I haven't worked well definitely not because I haven't worked probably I've worked too hard in a way sometimes trying to race off the back of something but it's always been a big motivator and I don't like the thought of failure. Um, so that motivates me. A failure actually motivates me as much as anything. But then, yeah, you. I think it's it's just once you find actually you're you're relatively good at something and um, you've got the opportunity to do more of it and then sort of people get to know you a little bit more for it and ask advice and, you know, then you give people advice and, you know, they're grateful and, you know, it's quite nice. It's quite nice to have people ask you things and for you to be able to give a little bit back and spread on the knowledge and probably the failures that I've had to try and help people avoid those, I think. And uh, 
you know, obviously John Belton's sponsoring this podcast and I know John from the, the Arctic and he'll say the same with these events, I think, is that, you know, you can't really, you can prepare to an extent, but then until you're doing these races, because we chatted about the, the jungle, obviously he's just come second there and had a great race, but talking to him before he went, you know, it was, it was like, you, you won't understand until you're there and do it um really really hard hardest race and you know is it's just something i think at times whatever advice you get it's it's helpful but until you do things and and get experience sometimes you, you just won't know and you just can't can't tell until you've experienced it yeah exactly and something you mentioned there about running when you were back in school i think a lot of us have a bad experience of running when we do sports during the during the weekend school, running was generally seen as a, as a punishment. If you were bad at something or couldn't do something, you were given a few laps of the pitch. We kind of had that kind of bad experience of running and didn't see it as being a sport. It was just something that you had to do if you weren't good at something else. Now you mentioned the discipline that you have. Has that discipline come from your military background? Um, no, uh, I think it's something that I've. I've always had as long as I've I've had a focus. If I enjoy something, I'll put 110% into it. I've always been quite stubborn and determined from probably like a nursery, you know, right? Uh, my mum telling me the, the one story of being a nursery when I was probably three years old and just refusing to take my jacket off for the, the headmaster's wife to show the the color of shirt that the you know that the, the pupils had on and I was just being stubborn refusing um so I mean, that's probably one of the first examples but I've always been quite stubborn strong-willed determined um not always to my benefit um but in some ways it does do you favors but in other ways it doesn't so for things like the the military getting into the military and the the parachute regiment and the training for example for that um it's a lot of psychological the fitness for me was easy um but then like I say, the punishment was actually running extra and uh doing more running and more beasting and and so on and that to me wasn't really an issue i kind of uh you expect it so you just sort of dig in and know that that's what's going to happen and it will end it will be over you've just got to stick with it um i think more the frustrating side of things was the, the being messed around and you know having your time taken away from you and rushing your food and things like that that were more of an irritation to me but the yeah the military i think it's it does instill discipline and it's, it's great for perhaps um, younger people that are going into the military that have had a bit of a, a hard upbringing or, you know, they've, they've made some wrong choices initially and they're young and can be molded into, you know, soldiers where they have the, the discipline and routine and respect. And I think I, I went in so 27, 28, it was an itch I had to scratch. So it was very different for me. Um, going in and, and doing that. But at the same time, I think it was probably harder going in at that age when you're, I mean, I wasn't the oldest in my training, um, but I was probably maybe the third oldest, I think. But then 
you were there with a lot of sort of 18 year olds that were very, very young and mature. It's very hard to get on with younger recruits like that when you've had a life, maybe had a successful job career and you're giving up those things to take a significant drop in salary just to go and satisfy a bit of a, you know, an itch that you've had for a long time before you're too old to, to do it. Um, but yeah, I think when you see how it then molds people into the younger men, the, the younger recruits that they become and when they pass out and what they've achieved doing that, then, then obviously it's a, it's a very good thing. And I think that it instills that, discipline um probably drive and motivation as well and that camaraderie that that people get um which is obviously what you need within a military setting and, and so on and that discipline of course would carry true to these multi-stage races when you have to be able to manage yourself on a daily basis you can't let your guard down when you're tired at the end of the day you have to prepare for the next day yeah i mean i always have a tactic i think when i go into these multi-stage races and preparation is always key and I'll always prepare very well for them. But then when you're there, I think it's, it's a different matter because things can change rapidly in those places. You know, things can go wrong. Um, and I think when I've been out there, I tend to, to go off pretty hard and train for that, go off hard, um, usually get a, a lead or a, gap and then I can I can pretty much manage that in my experience and that's how I plan it so that I go fairly hard initially get myself a comfortable sort of goal time so on and then I can pretty much turn the afterburners off and then manage my effort whether that's running with the person that's in second place and just keeping it nice and steady or you know going off at the front again but within a more comfortable zone where I'm not trying to go hell for leather and I'm not risking the falling and tripping and so on, not delving into the same amount of calories um, that I'd be burning, the same amount of carbohydrates. I'd more go to sort of fat-based burning just to, to manage the different sort of environmental factors there, whether it be the altitude, the heat, my hydration, and then I'd pay a lot more attention to those things. Are my feet okay? Am I am I drinking enough? Am I eating? Should I be eating? Do I need to do anything else? And that'd be like my little mental checklist going on in my head as I'm out running and, and racing. You mentioned your feet there. How important do you think foot care is in these type of races? Oh, well, <laughs> after my most recent race, I, I you know I had terrible feet uh, recently. They're still they're still not looking the prettiest of feet anyway. And, and I by no means had pretty feet to start with my little duck toes. Um, so yeah, I think initially when I started running, I suffered with my feet a lot, um, blistering and, and so on, but I think they were just soft and I started taping them, but then gradually found that I didn't need to tape them the same way or, or use anything. And they gradually hardened up. Um, but then I would target sort of taping certain things for certain races, like, for example, the, the jungle. I would tape areas I know where I'm likely to get hot spots. And, and my feet in the jungle were, were pretty good. Um, they were swollen and, and so on, but you can't, you can't avoid that in that environment and that terrain. 
um, swelling of feet. It's just what happens. But for example, in the Arctic, I didn't need to do anything because my feet didn't get a raw deal of it at all. But then most recently, my last race, I took my feet for, for granted, thinking, well, they're tough now. But actually, I'd done a lot of foot care beforehand and probably softened them up. And, you know, I found out the hard way by being in a lot of pain for a long, long time. And, um, you know, my feet were raw, exactly where I'd be foot striking and on jagged rock then that was an error and I think I, I've analysed it since um, I had my footwear on that was too loose I should have tied them tighter and had them more of a snug fit which you know it, it's easy to look back on it now but I was uh, it's alright I was comfortable in them but there was too much slip and I could feel myself having the, the movement within the foot um, I had some socks which I look back on those and I think probably not a fan of those socks, although I had run in the same socks before and I'd got a new pair deliberately to have the extra cushioning because I just wear socks to death generally. Um, and then beyond that, I didn't do anything to um, that I would have done in the past, putting something like Engo um, pads in to just basically minimise friction or some fleecy web and, and things like that. So I'm like, now, well, I need to start doing that again probably not scrub my feet as much and um yeah i lesson learned every race you have a, a lesson that you learn and usually more than one and that was a, a big lesson for me and while you were dealing with those foot issues you were leading the race so you, you knew there was a good chance that you were going to be leading it the next day and maybe the day after that if you were further back in the field would you have looked on your feet in the same way? As you were describing your feet there, do you think that they were a race stopper? Um, yeah, absolutely. How do you decide? I think some people give up when they could continue and some people continue when they should really give up. And you will often meet people as well who can kind of invent a problem that they don't yeah, really have. absolutely. Um, so I'm the type of person that... So my race with, with the bad feet was this the summer spine challenge I literally just gone a couple of weeks ago, um, which I still managed to win, but I was going for a specific time and record, which was 21 hours. And for the first eight hours I was, I was flying. I felt great, but I was aware of these hotspots, but nothing too, too troublesome. You know, it's something you just get on with and, and deal with, but they gradually got worse. But I thought, well, I can just manage keep going self-sufficient and then when they started blistering I started I got the needle out and started um you know putting holes in them and squeezing the fluid out stopping so it, you know it, it takes time it I built up a big solid lead so I knew that hopefully I could manage them slow down and still be be able to to get through and and, and do okay and I kept having to stab them and, and squeeze them out but they were just filling up constantly which is frustrating and I think problem is is i would have just cut off all the skin under my foot um and then put a pad over it and i think that would have been loads better because there wouldn't have been any fluid build up problem was that when you're on your own and you've sort of run 70 odd 80 odd miles by that point it's very hard to see the bottom of your feet and then actually get a scalpel and cut around everything um so that was one of the issues. Um, but I knew that I was winning. I knew I had a big, big gap. And that even 
sort of hobbling to the end i could probably hold on and, and manage because i saw that the other people behind me weren't really gaining when i was by my standards crawling so that became more the mentality that well you're in the lead here keep going doesn't matter it's painful but you, you're not going to do any long-term damage your feet will be sore for a couple of weeks a few weeks but big deal just get on with it and so from that point of view yes absolutely winning being in the lead definitely focused if I was mid-pack with that issue and thinking well I'm gonna go backwards I don't go just to to turn up and and complete them and I know that I, I don't mean to sound big-headed or um you know disrespectful to anyone that goes to turn up and complete these events because it is a massive achievement but I just hold my standards so high with the results that I've had now that I go into every event wanting to win it, believing I can win it or certainly be in the mix. Um, so, yeah, I think if my feet were the way they were and I was sort of mid-pack or even just sort of around the front of that stage in the race, I would have known that I was not going to be able to, to keep going at a pace I would probably have thought, well, you know, live and fight another day, get back to training because I've got another race coming up and I've, I've crammed a couple of races in this year that are quite close together. So I would have been looking forward to the next race from the one a couple of weeks ago, which is Kyrgyzstan, and I'm flying out there in a couple of weeks. So I would have thought, well, if I damage my feet more now, that's another week of recovery. I can have another week of training. I won't have done the extra mileage. Um, I won't have you know, caused my body to compensate because I'm hobbling, causing probably other issues to my knees, hips and, and so on, which um, can obviously have a, an impact on your recovery. So, yeah, if I was not in the position I was, that would have absolutely affected my outlook and I would have called it a day earlier on. Um, so it's definitely a specific thing. And I think, yeah, if you're having a bad day, you can very easily talk yourself out of a a race and into quitting um which i'm i'm not a quitter i like to to do well and win but i think there's a point with when you expect a certain standard of yourself that you don't want to just turn up and and go around and if i'm not seeing a training benefit from it or any beneficial experience from that then to me i'm kind of wasting my time um when I first started out as an ultra runner, so to speak, and had very, well, had no experience because my first race was pretty much a hundred mile race, which was just for me going, I wanted to complete a hundred mile race. That was my goal was to complete a hundred mile race with, with no experience. And I completed it. It took me a hell of a long time because my feet were raw. I was using um, poles just to literally baby myself along and uh but that was the goal i had to get to the end and i wasn't going to stop until i got to the end but your time um you you change your circumstances and your goals over a period of time so that was the goal then now the goal wouldn't be that and so i think you're going to your, your different races with different goals and i think if i, I reassess looking at different goals and races i have probably beyond this year then they'll slightly change as well. But I think it's depending on what you're, what you're doing at the time. I'm just wondering now, with all the success that you've had 
in such a short space of time, how you might actually deal with some kind of a setback. You don't have any real experience with that yet. I, I have a couple. I have, right. um, Ultra Trail Snowdonia for me has been the nemesis. I've, I've done it two years on the bounce and then missed it this year but with, you, you, with injury. Am I right in saying you won that race last year? No. Um, so Ultra Trail Snowdonia, I've never, I've never completed that race. I did the 100K the first year. Was it a 50-mile um, race you won in Snowdonia? Yeah, yeah, I've won a, a Snowden 50, which was a GB Ultras race. Um, okay, that's year. the one I'm making it up with. Yeah, um, but yeah, Ultra Trail Snowdonia has kind of been my my nemesis. And it's a brilliant event. And I, I desperately wanted to do it this year. And I was in very, very good shape. And I think I could have been right up there. And I was doing the, the 50, which Tom Evans then went and, and won. Um, and I think I would have been there or thereabouts um sort of the the top top five um looking at it and I was, I was in good enough shape to do that and that would have been a goal so not for example the winning tom evans probably the best best ultra runner in the world at the moment with you western know, states all the yeah yeah time on his side seeing as is, you're uh, yeah seeing as you're familiar with tom evans and him winning mm-hmm. western states does that make you start thinking about a race like western states yeah, I mean, for me, the direct comparison with Tom Evans is that, yeah, Western States, I think, would actually suit me. I'm not a big mountain runner, so to speak. So Ultra Trail Snowdonia actually doesn't probably suit me and my physique the best. Um, I'm relatively heavy for a runner, although the weight is coming off and I'm seeing the benefit of that. I'm actually naturally quite a heavy person by running standards. Um, but the one for me that Tom Evans has done and I think I can go and do comparatively well is um, Marathon de Sable, which is obviously it's, it's a big commercial desert race um, which if you know I, I can go and I'm doing another desert race this year beyond the ultimate which appeals far more from a point of view that um, I believe it's a tougher race but you've got the the commercial side of MDS which they call it the, you know, the hardest race on the planet don't they and um, which I think because it's an older race, it's a race that's been going for a long time. It attracts a lot of attention. So I think Matthew Blanchard was there this year. You've got the two brothers um, that usually fight it out for the win each year. Um, I think one was disqualified. The Hansel brothers, is that them? No, I think, I think if it is them, yeah, they haven't Mor- raced in the world. Mor- Moriarty, I think. Moriarty. Okay. They're, they're Moroccan. Right. Um, but the one who was going for his 10th victory this time, I think he got disqualified for not carrying something or right, additional right. support or something. But for me, that race, I think, is something I can go to. And it's do, probably like the really London well. Marathon of desert races. It's so big. Yeah. And, and that is what it is. It's, it's a very big event. Um, but it does attract some top yeah. competition as yes. well. And be- I think for me, that's probably one of the appeals yeah. is that because of the, you know, the, the history to it and, and so on. And, and Tom Evans going, and I think probably being the, 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 the best Brit that's done it in terms of, I think he came third place. That would be my goal would be to go out and try and do a number there. And I believe I can carrying weight on my back is my forte. I guess that stems from the military background being slightly heavier as a runner. Um, I carry weight very well. And I enjoy carrying the weights of the spine races as well, for example. 
um, the multi days. So yeah, that that race appeals, but for for different reasons. Over like the adventure in the jungle, that race to me is that was the an amazing race, or one through safari, the the for rangers one that beyond the ultimate do. Um, that would be a bucket list race, but for very different reasons. So um, yeah, I think I've got to choose my races carefully because i think some of the races now internationally i need to go and do a couple of those races for, for the reasons so for example i'm sponsored by scarpa footwear i went to sardinia with their international athletes and so on for a meetup um not that long ago and you then compare yourself to them and some of those guys have been second at utmb in 2021 um, one of the guys has just won Zagama and, you know, the, a whole host of guys that are competing on the international circuit, which being a Brit, you don't really do a lot of. So you've got to kind of go out there and prove yourself in a way. <laughs> My mentality kicking in again, the competitive edge thinks, well, you know what? I think I can keep up with some of these guys and I think I can do all right. And, you know, so it sort of, the, the cogs get turning and you think well actually i've got to go out there now and have a couple of those races which um i want to do i've just had priorities with the beyond the ultimate global race series which i want to be the first person fingers crossed to win all the races in the series um which i've done two two out of the four at the moment number three is coming up in a few weeks time in kyrgyzstan which is a brand new race and then there's the desert one later in the year. Um, so that's my initial goal. And buying races have, have come in and taken some sort of place in my heart and my head as well, which I didn't previously have an appeal for. And all of a sudden I've done two of their races within the year. So, yeah. Now, you mentioned the military once again, and you just reminded me of something that I kind of glossed over. You were with a parachute regiment, but you had an accident while you were parachuting and broke both your ankles. How has that affected your your mindset? Like, how, how did you actually deal with that as a setback? There's me saying you didn't have any setbacks, but that must yeah, have felt right. like life-changing. Yeah, I mean, I so I, I broke my fibula around the ankle and I, I damaged my knee meniscus on that side as well. And then I tore my um, labrum on my right hip. So it, w- it was an awkward injury. It was annoying. Um, it was a nighttime jump and you know, you're only dropping from hundreds of feet, you know, it's, so it's a very quick jump. You land very hard. You, you're dropping pretty much like a rock to get on the ground um, it's not like a nice little parachute jump where you land nice and softly you're you're hitting the ground hard you're listening for your equipment to hit the ground that's on a, a rope beneath you um, which gives you a, a very very small amount of time to try and brace for the impact and uh, yeah it just I just unfortunately had that accident but it's something that they they kind of account for it, it happens rather regularly people getting injured um the positive side of it it wasn't my back that i injured because that would have been far worse um, back problems and yeah it, it caused me a lot of problems for a long period of time um i 
went to the rehab um, centre at Headley Court. Got very frustrated there from being a very fit person, um, wanting to to do fitness, and I I couldn't do anything because generally, although the the ankle healed, the the knee I had to have a bit of a clear out with the meniscus. It wasn't great, um, but that healed over time. The hip, however, was something that just constantly, constantly aggravated me. I couldn't get comfortable with a sitting in a car, standing. I certainly couldn't run or cycle, anything like that. It was just a, a nagging, debilitating pain. And whatever I was doing at Headley Court, it just wasn't working. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's very frustrating when you, you say something's not working and you're trying your best. To, to end up being medically discharged for something that actually turned out to be really quite fixable. I'd had surgery on the hip and and so on, which was called a David Lloyd procedure, as in like the fit, fitness clubs, but a David Lloyd procedure, which is essentially like a hernia repair. But I didn't really feel any benefit from that surgery at the time. And so that's why going from fit military parachute regiment person to not running just going in the gym um it, it was really frustrating and something that i i got over by seeing i'd seen a few physios and nothing had really helped so i was kind of like just well this is probably it i guess and and then i met a very good physio who's worked with a lot of olympians over at lily shore where england football team used to be based and he uh sorted me pretty damn quickly it turned out that it was actually the the pain I was having was more hip flexor issue that was just very deep um obviously spreading into my lower abdomen and he worked on it a few times and I've never really had the issue since I, I get a little bit of tightness and it tightens up more than the other side but actually I'm uh you know I, that's why I started running and the very first week I, I could run again, I went and run a marathon very quickly because, hell, I've, I've missed out on doing stuff, so I'm going to make up for lost time. And that's sort of been my motto since. And I'm very grateful that I can actually do these things, which, you know, I didn't think I'd be able to again. And, so, you know, some people just, just can't do it. They're, so I'm very lucky that I'm able to do it again. And I guess I missed out on a period of time, but would I have done this sport if I hadn't have had that injury and, and so on, probably not. So, you know, I'm a little bit later into the running and probably performance, maybe I'm missing out a bit at this age, although it's a sport where you can be competitive sort of into your 40s quite comfortably. Um, but I probably wouldn't have had that if it hadn't been for the injury. And then, you know, having this physio that's sorted me and, you know, then all of a sudden I've sort of gone head on like a, a lunatic into ultra running. So you have a story, don't you? And uh, you, you work with the cards you're dealt and I, I'm very fortunate. So yeah, I've absolutely uh, loved it since. Yeah, very true. And you mentioned that that type of injury happens regularly. Now you'd seldom go into any kind of career path being told, okay, there's a good chance you're going to break your hip or break something. And we live in a very risk averse world and it's getting you know it's increasingly more risk averse so people are are avoiding it you know with health and safety and whatever people do during it they, they just avoid it at all at all costs now adventure has a certain element of risk so 
you mentioned you, you kind of went into military kind of late. Is it the kind of risk and adventure that attracted you to that? And then when you were discharged, you just redirected yourself to go where there was more adventure and risk. Yeah, I think um, probably throughout my life, there's always been that sort of risk, adventure, danger aspect of, of things. Um, whether it, you know, just I've always <laughs> had uh, that around me in my life, I think. And I've, you know, probably worked from like on, on doors in nightclubs in some pretty shady places in Birmingham to um, Manchester. And I've seen a lot of things there, but then obviously you go and I've gone on to be a paramedic working on the road on a response car um, in places like London or Essex or up in Yorkshire. And, and every place you work has a different injury or problem that you come across so further up north in yorkshire it was more bike accidents people going head on into you know brick into stone walls um down in london there was a lot of mental health um a lot of knife crime things like that and then in essex it was you're around all the motorways so you were getting a lot of um roads you know rtcs and, and so on so um yeah you, you come across things you're bombing along in a car to all these different scenarios so there is a an adrenaline um aspect to it and obviously you, you come across some pretty nasty stuff um i've been shot at i've been stabbed in in different things within birmingham in the past i've um you know a whole host of things from these adventure races and jumping out of planes and parachute regiment um, so that there's always been these things which have, I guess, had an underpinning, but it makes you feel alive and also very grateful for what you do have. And I think, um, you know, without those things, you can just plod along through life. And like you say, nowadays, everything's so risk adverse or you've got to be so careful with what you say and how you say it to, to people and um you know, for me, the world's gone mad nowadays. It's become very, very soft, and people will think, "Well, you know, you can't say that. That's terrible." But that is- it's getting soft, dull, and comfortable. There seems to be a fear of fear, and you know, people are just, as I mentioned, so risk averse. Now, when you mentioned the door work, what got you involved in that? Was that through your connection to the military, or did something else bring you there? Um. I did it whilst I was at university in North Wales initially, um, down in Bangor. So, um, as you can imagine, an English student working in North Wales, particularly when England were either playing rugby against Wales or, or football, you, you would have quite an um, interesting time. And I think I always then kept the, the license because that was extra money for me. Had you a mar- martial arts background? I'd done bits and bobs. I'd never stuck at anything particularly for a long period of time, but, you know, at the time playing rugby and I say it, it earned me money. I wasn't then out drinking and, you know, getting myself in trouble that way. And I, I did the same when I moved to Birmingham. I had 
initially I, I did my sports science degree and then went into recruitment for a couple of years and I, I worked in Birmingham I owned a flat I bought a flat in Birmingham got myself on the property ladder and you know then the extra income from doing that a, a couple of nights a week really really helped and when you're working you're not spending and so I think that became part of it and then when I went into the military from having a good job and I was PTing and, and coaching at that time I then had that itch to go into the military and you know going from a, a relatively decent wage dropping to a, a, a wage which you go in at training in the military with a mortgage I had to supplement that so um, every opportunity I got to escape from the the military environment, particularly after the training, I was traveling up to Birmingham and working. And, you know, I wouldn't say no to the work wherever it was. And you, it, Birmingham's probably the one of the roughest places I've, I've ever worked. And it's, um, you know, I, I like the city. I think the city itself, actually the inner city is a, is a great place. I've not been there for, for years now. I sold my flat, but, um, I actually really enjoyed it there, and uh, and a great place for music. So the nightlife, the nightlife must have been good. Yeah, it was it was absolutely excellent, and it was like you know you were being paid to be out and, and having a a night out really. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a risky thing to do as well, and you you know you were wearing. I always wore sort of bulletproof vest to do that job. And like I say, um, there was shots fired uh, at one point and another time, you know, the knife was pulled and, and that was the risk of it. And, you know, you, you get that, whoa, at, at the time, you, you have a risk and it's a buzz. And, you know, I, I don't do that anymore. I don't need to. Um, it was it was a, um, a means to an end for me that I could keep my flat whilst I was doing my military time and, and sorting that itch that I had. Um, but you know, it is something that then I went actually after the military and went and started doing, um, ship security and doing like super yachts, looking after people on, um, super yachts, bringing a, I brought a yacht back from the Maldives and we ended up, um, in Jeddah with an engine lost and you know you, the piracy was quite rife at the time so that was another interesting experience um, to you know being on these tankers as well over into Kenya and um, you know it's experience and it's it's experiences that I've really enjoyed um, you don't always enjoy them at the time but then when you look back you think well what an experience how many people kind of done that and um, you know, I think it makes you a, a well-rounded person and it certainly gives you a bit of resilience and um, a work ethic. And like I say, that the nowadays culture seems to have gone the other way and I, I was always brought up to be, you know, very polite, have your manners, hold doors, stand up for people, you know, ladies or the elderly to sit down and that seems to have gone but then we seem to have this culture that, that's come about that everyone's very self-entitled, very soft. And it's not a world that I enjoy being in from that aspect at the moment. So I, I try and switch off and, you know, my escape is going on the mountains with the dogs and 
you know, I, I, I don't really go out that much. I, I enjoy the running, the running community, and, and they seem to have the similar sort of outlook, a lot of people that I'm, I'm running with and experiencing things with. So I, I like that sort of aspect and community because I, I don't even watch the news anymore and programs on TV because it just seems you can't escape the, the way of the world and, and how it's going. So you didn't just win the Jungle Ultra and the Arctic Ultra after two and a half years ultra running. I think this is a combination of everything that you've done over those past 20, 30 years. And there's an article by Ryan Holiday, and he says that all success is a lagging indicator. All your success now is based on all that stuff that you've done previously. Everything has been a piece of that jigsaw that has got you to where you are now. And I think because just as I'm listening to you now, I can hear the resilience, the discipline, the, the bounce back ability, all that, the, the drive, the competitiveness, uh, just teamwork, you know. And, and when I think about, when I mentioned you representing Great Britain in, in the rifle shooting and like that, that requires... Like a, nobody really understands how much concentration that something like that involves, like, and then with teamwork with the rugby. So that's an incredible story. Yeah, it's, um, I think definitely you look back and you think, well, piece by piece, that's yeah, been built from that's that's your it. upbringing, from you know your your parents and how you're brought up, and then going away. And I say I went to boarding school um, for a period of time. And, you know, you get your experiences there and then came back and went to college and experiences there and the different sporting backgrounds, the, the different, you know, even nights out with friends, you, you learn from stuff. You, it's a complete holistical sort of take on things, I guess. You, you pull bits from every experience you have and then that's brought me to where I am now. And, yeah, it's all, all definitely been a factor in probably what, drives me on now but it makes me very single-minded and determined laser focus but you know it it, it may, means you sometimes neglect other aspects of your life get the job done exactly <laughs> you mentioned that you're you were going to do a, a desert race desert ultras are very, very popular like when I, when I was talking to john belton there recently i just had mentioned the races he has done when you think of a, a multi-stage race you don't automatically think of the jungle or, or mountains or the Arctic. It's the desert that we think of first. And that's because maybe the Marathon they saw being the, the longest established. And any races that kind of came after that were, were kind of modeling themselves on that. So you're going to Namibia. Can you give us a few tips for how to maybe uh, run in the heat or how you will actually prepare for that race? Yeah. Um, so heat acclimatization, typically seven, ten days. Um, I would always err on the side of ten days because I'd want to make sure that I was in the best possible shape going out there. I'd look at the typical temperatures for that time of year in that environment and then I'd work on it being its most savage and unpleasant. And I'd then go and um, replicate that and make sure that I was comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think a lot of that, by, by doing that, you you train your, your mind. And if you can be uncomfortable when you first start doing some heat 
training. So going to a lab, I go to Loughborough um, University to do stuff and, and they've been great. And I will tell them exactly what I want, although they're experienced, they, they generally know, um, but discuss, make a plan. And so I would go and I would have some sessions there. And obviously, I mean, Loughborough is not on my doorstep. It's, it's a two hour journey each way but I'd factor in a plan the 10 days before I go and I'd try and get a number of sessions in maybe every other day um, and then I'd do my own stuff around that whether it's wearing a, a sweatsuit or hot baths or going in a dry sauna I like the dry sauna the most but obviously not everyone has a dry sauna either so I would factor in going to Loughborough in their heat chamber doing specific running maybe with the kit on in that environment. So checking if anything's rubbing your pack and the clothes you're going to wear, basically. So you're, you're doing a dress rehearsal. Um, you then also get to find out how much you should be drinking and how much you're sweating, your sweat rates and what you need to replenish to optimize performance and avoid dehydration. Then I'd look at, obviously, around that, I'd be trying to do the hot baths at home or maybe a sweatsuit whether I'm running, but then just, just having that heat immersion as well um, and the dry saunas around that. So I try and expose myself as much as possible to the heat um, and then get out there. And when you're out there a few days before, again, just being around the high temperature for a longer period of time, letting your body adapt because um, it also fatigues your body more as well when you're not used to it. So I try and do the hard work before I got out there and then when I got out there, I'd actually just relax, um, but be in the heat, get there a few days early, make sure that I was fully heat adapted, make sure I was well hydrated, sleeping well, and then put on a big performance. Well, I think that's a good way to finish the podcast, unless you have anything else to add. No, I think uh, ne- next race is, is in Kyrgyzstan, um, which for me is going to be amazing because it's going to be the first time beyond the ultimate have have done this race i've tried to to get john belton to to come and join me but you know as as of yet i haven't twisted his arm um but i think that because it's such an amazing looking place and it's a place that you don't really hear many people having gone to and because it's at some absolutely massive altitude everything in the race is three thousand to four thousand meters above sea level and when you put that into context that Snowdonia is um, Snowdon even is 1085 meters um you know your that another two times on top of that is your minimum altitude and your maximum altitude nearly four times so um I think that's going to be a challenge and again it's the sort of stuff I love preparing for that type of stuff so at the moment, I'm yeah immersing myself in altitude training and all the adaptations that I'm trying to work around for that because that takes a lot longer than heat. So that'll be another great experience, I think. And what running shoes will you wear for that? Um, so I'm sponsored by Garpa and I, I think I'm going to be wearing... There's a couple of shoe choices that I plan to use. and One would be the Rebel that they have which is a a technical mountain shoe and the other one is the Kimas which has a rock plate in and gives you a bit of propulsion on the hills so they're probably going to be my well one of them will be because I can only carry 
so much. Um, so yeah, I'm still deciding on those at the moment, but possibly leading towards the the Kimas because of the rock plate. Scarp are very well known for their mountain boots. I haven't actually seen their running shoes. We have a smaller yeah. market over here, so I, I must try and get a look at those. Their boots are excellent, I know that. So yeah, I'll try and get a look at the running shoes. They're an Italian brand, so I mean, they're used to the trails in the, obviously, the, the Dolomites and sort of France and, and so on. Whereas coming to the UK, they've, you know, they've transitioned that market across and now they've, we've been developing the shoes, giving feedback and now like they're bringing out a fell running shoe to the market, which um, having tested that is, is fantastic for the British weather. So, you know, your, your late districts, your Snowdonia when it's wet and boggy. Um, so it's really exciting, actually, a couple of their shoes coming out now that are more specific to the UK market as well. OK, I'll check them out. Now, if you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, you might consider leaving a review, sharing it, passing it on to a friend. And until next time. Thank you.